Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, if we're being honest, parents aren't usually jumping at the chance to have the sex talk with their children. And as we've discussed in previous podcast episodes, it's not even one talk. It's many about lots of different facets of bodies and body parts and intercourse and baby making and birth control and more. In this Me Too era, it's even more important to widen the conversation to include consent and respect and boundaries and sexual harassment and gender and love. But how can we ensure our kids get all this information if we're timid about talking about it? If there is a way to drop that shame and that embarrassment and just make sex ed as easy to discuss as talking to kids about, say, nutrition or time management or finding their passion, we want that, right? And how can we ensure our kids know what they need to know when they need to know it if we keep delaying our talks until we think mm, they should hear it? The answer may have something to do with learning Dutch, or at least doing as the Dutch do. Author Bonnie J. Ruff lived in Holland for 18 months and found the Dutch clearly knew something different about how to raise happy, healthy children who were comfortable with their own bodies and with each other. Their carefree attitudes about nudity and how they explain sex to kids is something we should probably adopt given that, compared to the U.S., Holland boasts lower rates of teen pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases, as well as high gender equality, lower numbers of partners, and more positive experiences with sex overall. Yeah, we've got a lot to learn here. Bonnie J. Ruff is an author, journalist, and speaker focusing on families, health, education, parenting, and sexuality. Her newest book, Beyond Birds and Bees, bringing home a new message to our kids about sex, love, and equality, has received national and international coverage in outlets including Salon, Chicago Tribune, and New York Public Radio. Bonnie has written for The Atlantic on the link between sex ed and gender equality, The Cut, on raising kids without sexual shame, and the New York Times on protective lessons for very young children. Her previous books are The Girls, Alone, and Carrier, winning a winner of a 2011 Minnesota Book Award. More resources are at www.bonniejruff.com. So everybody, put on your big girl and big boy pants because we are going knee deep into this topic and it might get a little uncomfortable, but we'll do this together. So let's get it done. Welcome Bonnie to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. 
Hi, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you and on such an important topic and so uncomfortable. That's okay. We're going to do <laughs> this. We've talked about it before. Uh, we've had uh, Dina Alexander talk to us about how to talk to kids about sex, and we've had Richard Weisbord come on and talk about consent and uh, romantic relationships. We've had Dr. Day Sheridan come on a little bit. We talked a little bit more about sexual harassment, and we recently had people from Girls Inc. on talking about Me Too and Girls Too and sexual harassment and sexual assault. So this is a really important topic, and I'm so excited about delving into your book, which really talks more about sex ed really in a very complete manner. I would love for you, before we delve in, to talk Talk to us about what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in the way the Dutch talk about sex, how they teach kids about sex, and how it's so important to relay these lessons to parents in the U.S. Great. Yeah, I'd be happy to. As far as what gets me up in the morning, you know, for a long time, it was this idea of raising my two daughters to be at home in a culture that really does objectify girls and women and, um, and, and inculcates some shame and around our bodies and our sexuality that kind of feeds into our life relationships and how our social dynamics work out in our communities. But over time, what's, what's continued to get me up in the morning is not only that, but also realizing this isn't just about girls. It's not just about daughters. Mm. So, um, realizing that, I have this um, this sense and having had this wonderful opportunity to see how it can really look uh, to live in a more gender equal society. I have this sense that what we want to be aiming for is is not just, you know, even, you know, better manners between uh, genders or among genders, I should say, but really more of a sense of unity that we are we before we're boys and girls or men and women. So that's what gets me up in the morning. And, and to your question about how I came to this, um, you wanted to know, uh, you wanted to know how the book came about, right? Yeah. I want to know, like, how'd you get so interested in the way the Dutch talk about this particular topic? How did that come to be? And, and, uh, you know, how did you get to wind up writing about it? Yeah. So that one really was hitting me in the forehead for a long time before I really recognized what it was. My family moved to Amsterdam, actually, just right to the to the heart of the big city in the Netherlands. Um, back when my Dan and I have two children and our oldest daughter was not quite two and, and we only had one child at the time, we moved to the Netherlands for a stay that ended up being about 18 months. So, you know, with a kid that young, we were still just getting a handle on how to be parents. Mm. So I was just, I think on that, you know, new parent, high alert, real kind of sensitive learning, looking around, watching what all the other parents and caregivers are doing at the park and at school and taking notes from the, you know, daycare and preschool teachers and just trying to figure out how to do this child rearing thing. And so in the beginning, my observations were all mixed in with, with what I was seeing as, um, you know, what looked like good parenting to me, you know, um, the Dutch are really into teaching independence, um, and, and children to be, you know, have autonomy and their own ability to do things for themselves. And so I really liked some of the things I was seeing along those lines. And at first I didn't recognize that some of the things that were jumping out at me as a little odd and a little different had to do with that 
around sexuality. So picture me, I'm this, I'm, you know, a fairly new parent and I'm cruising around town on our box bike with my kid perched in this big wooden box on the front of the bike, trying to just get the hang of not running into tourists. And we stop in the park and here we are, you know, there's the wading pool all summer long. Kids are swimming. Um, a lot of them naked and not just, you know, two and three year olds, but yep five and six, mm-hmm. seven and eight, maybe nine year olds too, out in the, out in the waiting pool, just plopping in, you know, naked or without, with just their underpants on, on the way home from school, something like that. And I'm realizing that comfort with, with nudity extended in other ways throughout the society. So, you know, for example, um, at my daughter's preschool, boys and girls were toilet trained side by side in one little bathroom, row of potties and no dividers. So not only were they um, learning that their bodies were nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about, but also they were having the opportunity to have body parts normalized, even the ones that were different from theirs. So kids could see other body parts and could see that the adults around them were treating them as, as normal as an elbow. And so, um, yeah, I was just picking up on all these normalization messages. Parents and teachers would use really, um, straightforward, accurate anatomical terms with their kids. That doesn't mean sometimes they wouldn't use nicknames for body parts, but the children knew the correct terminology for their body parts. They were taught those first. So, The other thing I experienced in the Netherlands that was really different was me. The way I felt in my body as a woman living in that society was better than I'd felt in my body as a woman in my entire adulthood. Mm. I didn't make the connection at first, but I just knew I felt freer and more comfortable in my skin. I noticed that um, there wasn't that persistent sense of what we call male gaze that I think a lot of women, most American women and girls really grow up getting used to, which is just this sense that you're being looked at and objectified or evaluated wherever you go. Well, that was kind of absent there. You know, people are doing really undignified things. They're riding bikes all over the place and their hair is in their face and their skirts are blowing up as they untangle their bike locks from the bridge railing. And so it's just a... um a really much more, but, but no one's looking. I notice I'm the only one looking. I'm waiting for someone to point and laugh at that woman and no one is. And so, yeah, so it took actually moving back to the U.S. We gave birth to our second daughter and we were really struck with such fresh eyes by the differences between the ways, uh, we treat boys and girls, men and women, the how difference is emphasized more in American culture mm-hmm. and the different things that we offer boys and girls from an early age. Um, so it was then that it kind of hit me that the reason that I had felt so at home in my body living in the Netherlands is that I, that's just the way it feels to live in one of the world's most gender equal societies. And then it, it, it really came home to me that Dutch parents and teachers and in the wider society, it's not just, um, 
you know, kind of a hedonism or carefreeness that they have. It's really, they're very practical, pragmatic culture. And what they're doing is intentional. Mm -hmm. They're teaching body normalization in order to make sure that all genders know that their differences make still don't make them more different than they are and will remain alike. So that is how that Mm -hmm. gender equality builds from the time children are just babies. So Mm -hmm. I went back to learn everything I could about that. Oh, it's so fascinating. I I, I remember in your book, you were talking about, you know, the schools and now they took showers after gym class just for them to get used to it. And the children's books on sex ed were so different from Holland than they Mm -hmm. were in the United States. And even the way that they were reviewed by people in the United States versus the people, Mm -hmm. you know, that that the people in the United States, when they were reviewed, some of these books take a very... Oh, this is too much, too much information for young people. They don't need to know about the uterus. They don't need to know these words. You know, it was very, very much like pushing it off, pushing it off and saying it's too much. And, you know, that, that we, we don't, they don't need it at that time. So why is having more open and non-shaming sex ed so important for our young people, sort of in a nutshell, why would you find Mm -hmm. that having it be more open and non-shaming is important to how we raise our young people? Yeah. Having it be more open and non-shaming means that young people, first of all, know all about their bodies, which by the way, is considered by some world organizations as a human right for people to know how their bodies work and to have sexuality education from the time that they're young. Um, so they know how their bodies work. They know what their body parts are called. So they have the vocabulary to talk about it, if there are any problems that they need to tell parents or teachers or doctors about. And also, when kids are being taught about bodies in the Netherlands, they're not only learning medical terminology. It reminds me of just your wonderful intro. They're also being taught in schools from from the time they're in kindergarten, world-class sexuality education lessons, comprehensive sexuality education lessons that include Lessons about consent, resisting gender stereotypes, relationship skills, and what it is to be in love, what healthy friendships are like. All of those things come hand in hand with learning about our bodies. So that non-shaming is, is a reason. It's kind of like a, almost more like a result of children knowing that their bodies belong to them, having body, bodily autonomy and knowing that they have their right to say no if they don't want to be touched and that other people should be obligated to respect that. And if they don't, that it's the other person's fault and that they are absolutely right to go get help. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just te- when children, and I also think one really cool thing that I saw Dutch kids being taught in classrooms from, from first grade kindergarten on is to understand and learn about what their own boundaries are. So for example, for example, teachers would encourage kids, okay, you know, roll up your sleeve and now see, why don't you lightly pinch your arm? Now see, is that something that you like? What about if you just tickle lightly or scratch or rub? Which things do you like more and which things do you like less? What do you definitely not want more of? And then to find out from their neighbor that their neighbor has different preferences and different boundaries and to get the lesson that those are things that we are obligated to 
respect about other people. And even if we like it, it doesn't mean that they do. So when a child knows what they like and knows that they're entitled to their own boundaries, they also know it's really easy to tell what you don't want. And you know when your boundaries are crossed. So again, it helps kids to communicate with the people around them if there's ever a problem. Mm, so, so interesting. And I, I love what you're saying here, and it's just allowing these kids to to claim themselves. It's claiming their Bingo. bodies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny. I was tickled reading about your daughters and your conversations about body parts, is because you know, I mean, I knew you were uncomfortable in some time at some of it like, mm-hmm. in the beginning. How do I pronounce this? I don't even know what to say. Right. You know? I mean, it's just hilarious because I went through very similar things. Um, and, and you know, they talked about the various parts of the vagina. And then the end, we talked about the penis. And your kids are looking at their body parts in the mirror. And they're reporting back mm-hmm. with such fascination because it's <laughs> sort of fascinating, isn't it? So, so let's get down yeah. to some tips that are, of course, for both boys and girls. What do you want parents to do when it comes to sex ed and teaching their young kids early? What are some tips? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, my uh, my I think my favorite, and maybe because this is the easiest time to talk about, is definitely that zero to six age group um, because there's so much we can do for kids at that age to lay healthy foundations that then they just build on. So, um, so maybe, you know, I love talking about healthy sexuality at any age, but there's still, there's just so much opportunity for those young kids. Um, and then the other thing I want to make sure that I say is that I really want to acknowledge that for, for American parents and parents everywhere, because Dutch parents aren't always super comfortable getting started either, um, that fear that we feel comes out of love and we are so intent on protecting our kids that we want to make sure that we don't make any missteps that could somehow be damaging. And that was one of the coolest things that I learned is that no matter how many experts I asked, there was no such thing as saying too much too soon to a kid as long as you're doing it out of good intentions to educate them because if kids aren't ready for something as we know it just goes in one ear and out the other and then um yeah so i had this incredible sense of permission that i didn't have to be so afraid that that i was going to do something wrong even if i told my kids wrong information i could always circle back because like you said we were doing the talks not just a talk so for those really young kids um i loved learning that just even beginning with diaper changes really young kids we can we can just watch our own demeanor as adults you know when we get to the diaper are we using negative language are we saying oh that's stinky that's dirty or are we looking for words that are more neutral or even positive okay so the diaper's full the diaper's wet or the diaper's dry um and, you know, not wrinkling our noses, but but being uh, smiling and cheerful with our babies, no matter what body part we're handling or helping with so that children don't start to get the idea that while their their cheeks and their tummies are adorable, there's something yucky between their legs mm-hmm. um, that can really start so young. So then also. You know, as soon as we start teaching children the names for their body parts, and we, you know, we teach a lot of body parts and we teach them young, let's not leave out genitals mm-hmm. because 
again, that gives the sense that there's something unmentionable there. And Mm -hmm. those are those little tiny ways that we unintentionally plant those seeds of shame. So it takes some practice, but you know, it's really easy to practice around a baby because they don't notice our mistakes at all. So so that's a good time for us to get used to it and, Mm -hmm. and to also remember another big lesson I learned and, and still have to learn all the time is that you always have to repeat things more often than you ever thought you would. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know it from nutrition and that kind of thing, too. Like, how many times are you going to tell your kids to eat your ve- their vegetables? Once. Like, mm. lots of reminders until it finally sinks in. Um, so, yeah, so that's for little mm. tiny babies. And then as kids get into, a, you know, two, three, four, um, and even younger they are really interested in exploring their bodies. How many of us have been changing a diaper and the little hands go right down mm-hmm. as soon as that diaper comes off? Right. Well, that's something that Dutch parents are encouraged by their National Health Service to go ahead and just encourage and smile about and let babies just range their, their hands all over their bodies so they get to know, again, that every part of their body is valuable and important and their own mm-hmm. to um, be connected with. And so that's considered healthy and needed exploration. Um, and, and that will continue when kids get a little older, they might like to play that way with their friends and family by family and in communities, you know, who are comfortable with it, people might consider the Dutch approach to that, which is very different from what we say in the U S which is like, absolutely not. There will be no playing doctor. Mm. The Dutch see those early childhood show me games that kids play as a really important opportunity for kids to learn and maybe make some of their little mistakes along the way to becoming adults who understand that consent is important, that mutuality matters, that you don't hurt other people, that kindness is part of relationships, and that everybody can experience pleasure and pain. So the Dutch have rules for playing doctor instead of just a a prohibition about it. Mm. Uh, I'm happy to tell you what those are. I want to know. I totally want to know. I thought that was a comma, not a period. I I definitely (laughs) want to hear what the rules are on how the Dutch allow their kids to play doctor. Yeah. First of all, and when I found this out, it was came at the perfect time because my four-year-old was, you know, wanting to get out the doctor kit and Mm -hmm. and the clothes weren't always staying on at those play dates. And so I just didn't feel great about telling her absolutely not because for kids, we think that they're, you know, being erotic in weird adult ways. And the truth is they just, they don't have the the mind-body connection Mm. about sexuality Mm -hmm. that we bring to it as adults. They're really exploring the physicality of it. And that's that can be a really important growth opportunity for them. So the Dutch rules for playing doctor are, one, everybody has to agree enthusiastically to the game. Mm. No no coercion. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, you may do no pain. Mm. And then the third rule is nothing goes in any orifices. Mm-hmm. So that's the safe, that's safety, right? Learning to be safe and protected when, when you're playing those kinds mm-hmm. of games. Mm-hmm. Now, in the U.S., because that's not um, something rippled out yet in our culture, I add a fourth rule for my kids, and, and that is to make sure that your playmate has checked with their parents to see if their family has the same rules mm-hmm. um, that there's there's also um we can make sure that that nobody's boundaries are being crossed especially kids who haven't yet been taught to learn and explore what their Mm -hmm. own boundaries are so Mm -hmm. um yeah but that just absolutely i mean it's so exciting Mm -hmm. to learn that 
and tell my daughter and give her this sense. She was so empowered. She's like, okay, now I know the rules. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, mom. I know the rules. I remember the rules. And it was so different from saying, you know, what your body is telling you is perfectly normal, healthy, and developmentally expected, which child to child sexual exploration absolutely is at that age. And, and even older, there's not really a clearly defined age when that's normal and not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't like being in the position of telling her that that message is wrong. Your gut feeling's wrong because mm-hmm. it might not be. Oh, really good. Yeah, I liked hearing that. Thank you for that. And, you know, it is it is something to say that it doesn't always have to be an all or nothing situation. You know, you can come up with rules and discuss boundaries so that, mm-hmm. you know, you are comfortable and that your child, you know, feels empowered. I think that's that's terrific. Now, I know that, you know, clearly while procreation is an important part of sex ed and, you know, we've discussed a little bit about, you know, the idea of how babies are made. And, you know, when people are talking about the sex talk, a lot of them are like, that's what they're really talking about, how babies are made. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You talk about in your book, um, and you sort of allude to it when you're, you're talking about a conversation with your, with, with your daughters about um, that, it's about getting close to about getting close to somebody. And I would love to know how we talk about sex as a way to get close to somebody rather than a way to make babies, because the conversation needs to continue beyond that, right? We have to get beyond procreation um, in a way that makes it so the people who are listening don't want to hide under the table, (laughs) you know, that, and they don't want to say you're not old enough to hear this. Because I remember my friend saying that her daughter found out about sex from a book. It just happened. She was she was very science oriented and and just very you know sort of an old soul. So she was reading well beyond her years. And you know she came to her mom and she was like, "So you've done this thing, and 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 so there's 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 you know this many of us, and and so you've done it this many times." <laughs> You know, and so yeah. what, what happens to the conversation beyond the procreation talk? That's such a good question. And one of the things that dawned on me while I was exploring all of this is the realization that it's actually protective for kids to know that sex can and should feel nice mm-hmm. and should feel good yeah. because that helps them to know if they're in an experience that doesn't feel nice mm-hmm. or doesn't feel good that that's not it, that that that's not happening Mm -hmm. the way they have the right to experience it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I too had a situation where my five-year-old basically without using these terms asked me about birth control. Mm -hmm. And that happened because we were reading a children's book, um, a wonderful book that I love called my mom's having a baby by Dory Hillestad Butler. And, um, yes, yes, she, so in this book, uh, I think that's where the words get close come from that mom and uh, that the parents want to get close. Um, but I mean, it's, it definitely gives a little bit more description than that. And it is for her age group. So she asked me, um, what happens if you want to get close, but you don't want to have any more babies? Mm -hmm. So smart. 
And she was so, and she, I looked at her little face and I realized she was asking because she thought, what could sound more wonderful than getting close and cuddled up with someone you love naked? I mean, what a great, what you just can't get more, more tender and sweet Mm -hmm. than that in her kindergarten mind. Right. And so, so she was thinking, but if I've got enough kids or don't want to have any kids, Mm Does that mean I can't have that intimacy in my life? I mean, that was the, what was behind her question. So mm-hmm. kids are ready. Kids are ready to hear this stuff early on. And we can definitely just, yeah, let them know, it, you know, even if they don't ask that when that people can also choose to, to, you know, you can use whatever term you're using, have intercourse or have sex. And um, even if they don't want to have a baby or if they don't want any more babies. And part of that is really important to let them know because not everybody who wants to have sex with their partner is, is is going to be a fertile couple, right? You might have two men or two women or people who, um, have, have chosen not to have babies or can't have babies for some reason or, Mm -hmm. or want to bring children into their family another way. Mm -hmm. So it really opens up the opportunity to talk about um, how all families have different shapes and configurations and that love and pleasure and enjoying our bodies is for everyone mm. uh, as long as we respect other people's boundaries. So, yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's not it's not a a dreadful concept in and of itself, but there is something cultural. I run into it, too. I. It's just hard, I think, for us to talk about wanting something because it feels good. Yes, Maybe it's un-American. Right. I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right. In mm-hmm. fact, my daughter asked during, I mean, we had, we sort of had a marathon talk the first talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, and she Yay. would have just kept on going if um, it was 10 o'clock at night at that point. I was like, you know, it is, it is late, late. I mean, <laughs> late, late, late. We have to go to bed now. And she's like, oh, mommy, I would just, I would, I just love having these conversations with you. I could have them all night long. I mean, it's just the sweetest thing. And you just want to say, but it was late, but she, she did ask about if it hurt, does it hurt? Mm. And, you know, so we were able to get into, you know, that idea of, if it's right and if it's not right and if you want it and if you, or if you don't want it and what it should feel like and in when it's great and, and what it shouldn't feel like, um, if you're Mm -hmm. not ready or you don't want it or it's being forced upon you, you know, we did talk about all of that and that somehow wound up in our very first conversation, our marathon talk. Um, That's the thing. They're ready. They're so often so ready for more. They are. And I think it's you know, really valid what you're saying there and, and that we do need to talk about what feels good and what doesn't feel good for us and how that pain and pleasure can be an indicator of whether we should be, be doing this or not with this person and that we don't have to do something that doesn't feel right for us and to pay attention to that as well. And that's actually one more thing I feel really important to add here that can be a big help to a lot of parents is just to make sure that you mention to your kids whenever you explain about sex and intercourse and how that 
works for people, which is a totally fine thing to explain to a preschooler, is to make sure that we say, but sex is not for children. Mm -hmm. That's something that you can do when you're an adult. Right. Right. Absolutely. That this is something for, for adults. And, you know, they, I think that's probably a fear for a lot of parents that they feel like if they talk about it when the child is young, that means that they're giving permission to the child to do that when they're young, when it has nothing to do with each other. Right. Or that normalizing it might open them up to the possibility of being abused Mm -hmm. or something like that. But in fact, the more kids know about what is normal and how things work, the more the easier it is for them to identify something that's really out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Mm So you, you touch on, there's this moment in the book where you touch on transgender. I mean, it's just, it's just this one touch where you mentioned that at some point you're going to talk about how not all people who present as boys have penises and not all people who present as girls have vaginas. So is that something that we also bring into a discussion related to sex ed or is that something completely separate? Would would you say the Dutch people would include that? How does that work? Oh, yeah. Great question. You know, the the Dutch um, approach to sex ed and their their approach in schools, their K through 12 comprehensive sexuality education is really world class. And it comes from their central government that says, you know, they have these three or I guess these main missions for what they want that sex ed to accomplish. Not everybody uses the same curriculum, the one that is is pretty world famous for the Dutch. But um, but the, it's all inspired by the education minister saying that children need to learn how to have, you know, basic health in their bodies. They need to learn their boundaries and be able to have what they call sexual assertiveness to say yes or no and know when and why and how they mean it or how to deal with doubt, that kind of thing. And then finally, they have a very clear stated mission to reduce what they call homophobia, mm-hmm. but now they're broadening and in the same way we would here in the U.S. to say to be accepting of sexual diversity. Mm -hmm. And to me, and I think to many, many others, there's really only an artificial line that divides sexuality from gender, um, meaning that our bodies and how we live in them and have relationships and experience pleasure and um, and can be violated, truly. Um, all of those things are, are intertwined. And so when we're teaching children to respect other people and to that they're obligated to know other people's boundaries and um, and to not cross them if they can ever help it, um, then they absolutely are talking about diversity in people's gender identity is a big piece of that uh, because yeah it, to me it all relates and so gosh with kids it's it it's I think harder for us to talk about it maybe as adults but um, but I also think a lot of parents who are raising girls or boys and, and putting a lot of thought into the gender stereotypes that, you know, unintentionally just make their way into our worlds. And I think a lot of parents are really, you know, kind of irked by some of that, maybe without quite knowing exactly how they would articulate it, but just seeing that they're basically these roads that their girls or boys kind of keep getting steered onto, even if it's not 
an individual road that would be a perfect fit for their kid. And so we can really talk about gender role stereotypes, whether or not, um, and just broadening the idea of what is it, what does it mean to say boy? What does it mean to say girl? Is that about the way we expect someone to look or behave or what body parts they're supposed to have? What if, what if somebody, um, fits the, you know, some of that, but not all of that? Do we have the right to say who we are to the world? And that's something we can teach our kids. I, uh, yes, we can, we get to shape our identities and, and assert our identities in the world and that, yeah, definitely. You know, it's not the first thing I taught my kids personally. Um, it took a little time to even, you know, get body parts down. But kids can start to learn that not everybody who says they want to be um, a boy or that they are a boy has a penis. Mm-hmm. And not everyone who identifies as a girl and goes through life as a girl has a vulva. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not perfect. Yeah, that's a really small percentage of kids. But at the same time, I think what's happening on a broader scale, and, and especially for um, older kids, adolescents right now, I think that they're, it's a, it's an opportunity to really push back against those gender boxes. And so there are lots of ways that young people are showing us that they want to have more flexibility even if they're not needing to change their gender, they want more flexibility in what it means to identify with a certain gender. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, I loved just when we were little kids, when the kids were really little and I remember playing on the kitchen floor with little calico critters with my daughter. And one day there were two bunnies and one had overalls and one had a tutu. And we just, they, I think she said she wanted to take their clothes off because they were going to go swimming. And so then after they got out of the water, the little, I had it so the little boy bunny wanted to put the tutu on. And so we had this great little chat through the bunnies like, well, you can't wear a tutu because you're a boy. Well, is that fair? I really want to wear the tutu. It would sure make me sad if I couldn't just Mm. because you said so. And my daughter, I feel like she was just little, probably four. And you could just see this compassion come over her and she, oh, of course you can wear the tutu. Mm. I'll wear your overalls. Oh, <laughs> like, so good. They're just, yeah, they're, yeah. they're ready for it. If we, if we can, if we can give them opportunities to feel com- compassionate and empathetic toward people and their differences, whatever those differences are, um, whether that's, you know, the boy who's attracted to a boy or a, a girl who's transitioning to be a boy or somebody who is otherwise, you know, just not, um, I don't know, not, not exactly the same profiles our kids might expect. I mean, it's, it's all part of, um, accepting, or being, I don't know, just inclusive yeah. to everyone. I think you're absolutely right. And I did one podcast with Jessica Herthel, who is actually a good friend of mine and also happens to be the author of, co-author of I Am Jazz with Jazz Jennings. And that oh, awesome. great. All, yeah. All on, yeah, so good, right? It's all on uh-huh. how to talk to kids about transgender. And that book, she sent me the galley copy before it was published uh, to read with my kids and Oh, it was just so good. And I, I still remember my husband reading it with the two kids on either side of him uh, when, when the kids were quite young. And I'll tell you, they yeah. had no problem 
understanding right. what was going on. Zero. Zero, right. zero right. issues. And we've since discussed it many times. Like, it's sort of come up. We've read the book a number of times. Um, and it, for these young kids, they, they do not have the baggage that anybody, you know, uh-uh. that anybody as an adult might be carrying with them about what's what and what should be. Um, they just go, oh, okay. And, and yeah. you know, it's happened to be when... Um, can't remember what happened, but it came up at some point where we were applying it to an actual person um, that, you know, oh, that uh, perhaps that person was uh, transgender. And I was like, oh, remember the book, I Am Jazz? Ding, ding no problem. You yeah. Know, like just yeah. easy, yeah. easy to understand. So um, I, I, I like that we're kind of intertwining this gender studies, sex ed, sort of a seamless, seamless understanding of respect of different people, gender equality. Yes. You can't talk about all of these things unless you just talk about it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know you just talked a little bit about LGBT and if we're, we are kind of involving sex ed and you know, if we're talking about men with men and, and, and women with women, but we also have this other aspect, I mean, sort of alluded to it about people who might not be able to have kids or have kids in the sort of traditional way. We adopted both of ours. So, um, we're certainly in that boat and we've had to have, you know, a mm-hmm. number of conversations around that. So I'm wondering if you also found that the Dutch included, other ways to have kids instead of just the typical way of people getting pregnant, the going to the doctor, the, the scientific ways of, of having kids if you need it. Do they get into any of that or do they, are they just talking about the straight procreation that we are used to? Oh my gosh, that's so important. And yes, they get into it. And some of our best books and resources do too. But what I love about, um, there's a, there's a real popular series of books for kids about bodies and sexuality in the Netherlands by, um, a psychologist and sexologist named Sandrine van der Doof. And she, um, has a book, uh, for, I think it's like ages two and up. And this is what cracks me up is that compared to what we have in the U.S., it's got a lot of the same information. Every one of her books for all the way up, um, which are arguably the most common ones, you can find them in almost any bookstore that you step into um, in the Netherlands. They're basically, they give kids information, I would say on average, two to three years younger than we do Mm -hmm. in their picture books. Mm -hmm. So you get the same, the picture of like, you know, the cartoon, you know, man and woman who are going to get pregnant um, under the sheet with like the little motion squiggles around. You get that for your (laughs) two-year-old or your three-year-old as opposed to like your six or seven year old, you know, in our, you know, in some of our very best resources. So, so in a, in that first book for, um, for two and up three and up, it's, it's never exactly clear. It goes through not only how babies get made, but on the same page that they talk about that, they go directly into, but sometimes people don't want to have any babies or any more babies. And then the man can, Let's see. It says I, I don't have it right in front of me, and I'm translating in my brain. But and then um, 
the woman can take a pill or the man can put something over his penis. Mm. So like there, this is for just little toddlers, but mm-hmm. there's just such plain spoken, simple language. You turn the page. Here's how animals do it. All living things reproduce. You turn the page. Not all families who want babies can have them. Mm. The way we described before, here are some other ways families can get babies. Not all families want to have babies. And so here are some other ways families can look. Um, and it's all there from the very beginning. There's just that kind of full range of diversity, um, explanation for why people would have intimate, you know, physical relationships. And it's, but it's just perfectly at that age appropriate language level, which I mean, as parents, we know how to do that. We do it every day with our kids when they ans- ask us questions about something they hear on the news or, you know, that we, we thought, wow, how was I ever going to explain uh, climate change to my kid mm-hmm. at the age of three or four? And you find words, we find language to, to tackle those tough subjects. And goodness knows we do it with other huge things, right? Faith and mortality and health and and friendships. So all of those things, you know, we have that practice and we could, we're the, the big thing for me was learning that we have the permission to, that, that I could feel more free, that I wasn't going to hurt my kids by telling them more and more and being in conversation, that it'd be quite the opposite actually. And the, tr- the thing that I found eventually, you know, people always say, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing for me has been discovering that the easier it gets, the more fun it gets mm-hmm. too. So that mm-hmm. we actually like laugh and talk openly with our whole family. And, you know, there definitely are those dinner table conversations. I never thought we'd be able to have, oh, um, never anticipated with an 11 and seven year old in the house. But, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a incredibly freeing to see an example of what other parents and teachers can do and get such incredibly healthy, balanced um, results. So looking forward from that, if you are talking about these kinds of concepts with our young kids, what do you think is the impact for kids as they get older and then start to engage in more romantic relationships, um, and, and sexuality, the discovering more of their own sexuality and, and, and perhaps experimenting with sexual experiences themselves. What do you think the impact Mm -hmm. is? Well, first of all, and so importantly, parents who can start those conversations and, and do the work, and it's not always easy to keep those lines of communication open from an early age, are going to find that when their kids are older, you know, they're teenagers, they want to start exploring their sexuality with friends or partners, I should say, they, um, they've established a way an, kind of an open door to have conversations with their parents about these things. This was another incredible thing I learned, but most Dutch parents expect that their kids will tell them when they're thinking about having sex for the first time. They, they kind of assume they're going to be in that conversation. So they have, instead of trying to figure out how uh, they're going to keep their kids from having sex, Dutch parents have spent a lot more time thinking about how they're going to prepare their kids to have a positive, um, gainful experience from that first time when it does come. So they don't obsess so much about the age. You know, that's actually kind of arbitrary. It's this incredible shift that I saw in thinking about 
teen sexuality in terms of our fears about what might happen and shifting that to thinking, what are, okay, if I had, what are my hopes and dreams? Like if I had to really dream up, like what would be the perfect, um, healthy, um, loving, kind, enjoyable start for my son or daughter in their sexual life? Um, what, what might that be and how can I help that to be the case? So I was fascinated to learn that Dutch people look back on their first sexual experience and they're more than twice as likely as Americans to say that that first time was wanted and positive, well-timed to have a, that they had a, a good experience with that instead of a negative one. And I thought, well, how formative, right? That made me think, okay, I need to change the way I'm thinking about this for my daughters. You know, what can we do? What can we do to help them be prepared? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you, as we were saying, that when we have these conversations early and we are open to having these conversations, that actually, you know, the, the things that we've been afraid of, the teen pregnancy mm-hmm. and, you know, the switching partners and all that is actually mm-hmm. reduced quite dramatically Yeah. In Holland and among, you know, among the Dutch. So it's interesting that that the thing that we don't want to we don't want to discuss it because we're afraid it will happen when it actually backfires. And by not discussing it, we're having we're we're making we're setting it up to have a, a worse experience and get into the things that we were hoping they wouldn't get into in the first place. Yeah, it's funny. It, it almost sounds too easy, right? Okay, so I, I don't have to worry so much about what I say and how I say it. I, I get to be a little more free about it. I don't have to think I'm going to hurt my kids. And then the more we talk about it, the better uh, for their health in the future. And even if, you know, even if it's an ongoing series of let me let me go look that up. Here, yes. Let's figure it out together. Right. So, you know, and then I would just also add that the the other thing that builds from the very beginning and as part of a truly excellent comprehensive sexuality education in homes and in schools and beyond is that social emotional side. So if we're teaching kids from a really young age, what does a healthy friendship look like? What's a good relationship? How do you make a decision together with another person? Then what we're looking at hopefully with our teenagers is less of a transactional sexual experience and way more of a a a relational one where both people in the relationship want to have a good, a good experience and they want to ensure that the other has a good experience. And that's not just physical, that's taking care of each other emotionally as well. So that when you have that positive conception of what a relationship could and should be like, it's almost like the the nuts and bolts of consent are a no brainer, right? I mean, it's like, well, of, of course I don't want to hurt you. Of course, I'm looking at your face. This doesn't seem like something you want. Of course, I'm not going to do that, right? So, mm-hmm. so really, that emphasis on relationships from an early age, which is a reason why I love encouraging parents to um, to support their kids in maintaining cross gender friendships right throughout childhood, even in that time when cooties creep in to do everything we can as parents and teachers to shoo them out the door and keep kids in relationship with each other across gender. So they don't seem like strangers to each other when they come together in adolescence with hormones in the mix. And instead they can be used to one another and, and we can help them with that. Mm-hmm. 
these have, this has been so interesting to me, and I, I, I hope to everybody else, too, because these are conversations that we, we really have to have that are often avoided. And really, if we, if we are open and we are honest with ourselves, they're the very conversations that we need to have to connect with our kids, to understand our kids, and to be there for them as they grow and change and go through you know, their childhood and adolescence and, and realize who they are. So I would love for you to tell us the resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you and your book and all the work you're doing now? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, probably that would just be my website, www.bonniejruff.com, B-O-N-N-I-E-J-R-O-U-G-H.com. And there under my, um, the in-depth page for Beyond Birds and Bees, I have some Q&A, some of my very favorite books and resources, some uh, magazines I love for young people, and um, great books and things for parents as well. Excellent. And for those people who are listening and uh, on the go right now, we'll have all of that information on uh, my website, drrobinsilverman.com. We'll have the links there um, to Bonnie's website, to her book. So uh, don't fret, and we will have all the information for you so that you can get it when you land or when you need it. And I just want to thank you, Bonnie. It's been such a delightful conversation, so interesting um, and and really important uh, in this in this time when we've got to ha- we've really got to have this conversation, and it really needs to be multifaceted. So thank you for that. You bet. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'm going to be going back and forth with the fabulous Bonnie Ruff. I'll be going back and forth and talking about the, the different aspects of this podcast. I will be quoting them on memes, putting out the information because I think we want to share it and get it out to the world. And I hope if you could go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast so that other people can get the great solutions, the information, the wording that Bonnie Ruff uses during this whole thing, that would be awesome. It means more than you would know, and I just would appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there. Show notes are up there. And as always, I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when we fall short, we've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.